0: In part one of episode 51 of DesignEDU Today, RJ Thompson, assistant professor specializing in graphic and interactive design at Youngstown State University, joins us to discuss the four interactive courses in YSU's BFA design program. RJ goes into specifics on how each course builds off each other and even empowers students by giving them entrepreneurial skills. R.J. also shares how he leverages grants and grant writing to create real-world scenarios for student projects. Hello, and welcome to DesignEDU Today the podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary screen-based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is RJ Thompson, a practicing graphic designer, graphic design educator, and entrepreneur currently teaching graphic, web, and interactive design at Youngstown State University. R.J., formerly taught at Edinburgh University as a full-time temporary professor, adjunct professor at Carnegie Mellon University and LaRoche College as a visiting professor of graphic design. He has owned and operated his design practice, Zola Design LLC, since 2008. Before entrepreneurship and education, R.J. was a graphic designer for the H.J. Hines Company, a Fortune 500 worldwide company. As an educator, R.J. is able to combine his hobby with his job to present design in a fun and easy-to-understand way, not only to students, but to clients as well. R.J.'s entrepreneurial spirit and initiative drive him to do work that positively impacts the community. Volunteering with the Western Pennsylvania chapter of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, Pittsburgh East Rotary Club and many, many more organizations has not only solidified his personal interest in community engagement, but has instilled the need to include service work amongst his students and peers alike. R.J. served on the Board of Directors for AIJ Pittsburgh, the Professional Association of Design, from 2007 to 2010. With AIJ's mission to advance designing as a professional craft, strategic tool, and vital cultural force. RJ certainly understands the needs of AIGA's ideals amongst his students, colleagues, clients, and the industry in totality. Ever the learner, RJ seeks to learn as much as he can in order to bring cutting-edge knowledge of technology and design practices to the classroom. RJ is a 2004 graduate, of the International Academy of Design and Technology, where he secured an associate's degree in specialized technology and visual communications and is also a 2007 graduate of California University of Pennsylvania, securing a Bachelor of Science degree in graphic design. R.J. also received his Master's of Fine Arts degree in graphic design, from Savannah College of Art and Design in 2011, RJ and his wife Erin live in Bellevue, Pennsylvania. Welcome, RJ.
1: Hey, man. Well,
0: thanks for being uh, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. So, the first question is: uh, there are four dedicated interactive design courses that uh, you have at Youngstown, and it's introduction intermediate and advanced interaction design, and then a dedicated motion for interactive design. Um, so that's a lot. Cause I don't feel like a lot of programs even have two, let alone, you know, four classes. So right. how did that, how did that happen? Was that something that you did or what's um, the history?
1: No, no, actually. Um, so I was, uh, I was teaching at Edinburgh university of Pennsylvania and, they were one of the schools and perhaps still are one of the schools that only had like one interactive design class and uh, my my time there was coming to an end and I saw this opportunity at YSU and uh, I applied and obviously got it. but one of the things that attracted me to their program was the fact that they had, these four classes already embedded in their curriculum um I saw it's like a huge sandbox I could play in, and uh so those were definitely there before I started, and in fact, I believe were even started well before my predecessor uh was in her position so um yeah, when I came in, I got to completely reboot all of it, and that was exciting
0: oh i wow, I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> That'd be and a lot it, of fun.
1: It is well. The thing is, you know how quickly interactive design changes. Mm-hmm. You know they. Most people say, "Oh, the, the design industry changes every six months." Well, it seems like interaction design changes every single day. Sometimes several times within one day. Um, so I'm constantly having to uh, revise uh, all of those classes.
0: Well, that's and one you know that's the. I mean, once the classes are in place. It is easy to, it's not easy, mean, means the work to actually do the class, but like technically from a logistical standpoint or, you know, curricular standpoint, it's easy to update once you've got the, you know, that core there to work from. Yes. But that, so that's just key. Yes. All right. So, so let me, I'm going to start right in then on the actual courses. So in your introduction to interactive design course you are assigning print and animation projects yes. in addition to a web design project. So what's the rationale for that?
1: Okay, so uh, and this is actually really timely because I just assigned the print and animation project yesterday. So uh, previous to uh, last semester, which would have been uh, spring 17, I did not actually... Uh, integrate a print project into the interactive design class. Um, What prompted that was I received a grant from Puffin Foundation West, which is an arts-based nonprofit based out of Columbus, and um, I had uh, submitted my proposal to them based on a project I did when I taught Intro to Typography. The assignment in intro to typography was the students had to find a social cause topic or a social issue that the city of Youngstown was experiencing. And uh, like any city in Revival or post-industrial city, uh, Youngstown's got a lot of issues. So there's no uh, shortage of topics to choose from. So the students would have to uh, discover a topic or an issue and then fully research it. And then they would have to create a visual infographic, okay? Mm-hmm. So the infographic would be laden with visual metaphors and look, it would look great. It's highly visual, uh, you know, stylization of numbers and statistics, etc. And then from that project, they would have to create a advertisement that sought to uh, call attention to their chosen issue or sought to... Uh, get volunteers or seek donations, etc. So they they experience this whole this whole process of finding a topic, researching it literally, and understanding the the social applications of it, and then having to flip that on its head and create uh, apt visual metaphors that we could then design a poster for and then print and uh, distribute those printed posters throughout the community. So. Mm-hmm. In that process, it was also a legitimizing effort. It was an authentication level. Here I have sophomores in intro to typography creating a project that, you know, has been authenticated and is professional, really. So this project uh, ultimately led to some of my students getting internships and jobs with some local area nonprofits. One student in particular uh, <clears throat> ended up working with the Youngstown Neighborhood Development Corporation in a graphic design position that was exclusively created for him. Um, so I, I like to think that that one specific project led to uh, a number of, of, tremendous successes for my students. So, uh, that leads me to the grant. So I applied for the grant, and the foundation gave us $500. I actually asked for Twenty five hundred, but um, this particular organization doesn't totally fund graphic design. So the mere fact that I got something uh, was uh, impressive to begin with. So the the premise behind that was that grant was exactly the same as the Intro to Typography project. And last semester in my Intro to Interactive Design class, I kind of upped the ante a little bit. In our, in our design program, I'm kind of known as a bit of a, a hard-ass on projects in the sense that I expect my students to really push themselves creatively on my work, on my projects, because my projects are unlike that of my peers in the region or even my peers in my own department. So the students were assigned the following. They had to choose a social issue that focused on the city of Youngstown. They had to make an infographic about that chosen social issue. Then they had to make a printed poster advertisement of that social issue. Then they had to use Adobe Animate and create animated versions of both the infographic and the poster. Those would be exported as video, uploaded to YouTube, and then they had to create a one-page website that uh, was designed in theme, and aesthetic consistency with everything else that they've done. And it shows the posters, it shows the research, and it shows the videos. So it's one huge project all wrapped up together. Um, the extra layer of authentication here was that at the time I had just rebranded the City of Youngstown and I was in charge of, and still am, in charge of a uh, $100,000 grant to get that uh, campaign off the ground. And um, the City of Youngstown marketing campaign, the rebranding effort, essentially co-opted all of that work. So then my students had to revise everything to include the City of Youngstown logo, which further legitimized uh, the work that they had done. So the, the rationale, aside from what I've already said, is I'm really interested in how my students come to my interactive design class. And I know you've experienced this, and as have that of our peers, um, I get a little frustrated when um, I get print designers designing interactive media like it's a print page layout. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot stand it. Uh, obviously, magazine layout does not, it's not compatible with, with web design. So part of my job is to sort of – and it, it, the timing doesn't work out because I try to break them a little bit. Like, yeah, you can design a nice page layout that's printed, but that does not work for the web. Oh, by the way, uh, n- this afternoon, right after this class, you have your publication class. So I'm trying to break the mold a little bit while simultaneously trying not to break the mold because they're learning print and interactive simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So it's a balancing act. So I'm trying to get them to understand how to design for the web and how to build for the web and really experience that transition and all the hardship that comes with it because it's it's not exactly easy for some folks. It, you know, The class that I have now, it's literally – Picking them up and hanging them upside down and shaking them. Uh, the, the uh, and with all apologies to my students, they just turned in their first project. And while their websites are coded for the most part properly, the page layout, uh, the design of their their websites are not good mm-hmm. uh, at all. Like I'll never show you their work, Gary. Yep. Uh, I'm not proud of the visuals, but I'm proud of the process. And I would show it to you under that context. And uh, that's, that's sort of why I assigned that print piece. So it, again, has professional application. It has some uh, design methodology uh, within that transition from print to web. And um, the students also seem to like it. It gets them a little bit more interested mm-hmm. um, in, in the class and in the work.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um and I think one thing that's different that's okay, so at UMBC, I have two courses to teach everything they need to know about interactive design in. Which and you can't so I would never yeah, which you can't. So I would so that's why I would never think about including a print piece <laughs> alongside anything, even though there is a symbiotic relationship. You're not like gonna be just do you're not gonna be doing you will have some print pieces thrown in there, um, and so I think the fact that you have four classes let you, gives you the freedom to bring in something when it's when it's organic. Absolutely. That absolutely. T- when when two classes don't wouldn't let you do that, and I had the same I had the same frustration because the way I used to teach um, <clears throat> my beginning um, web design, interactive design, whatever you want to call it, um, I focused more on the front end development side of it. Because I really wanted them to understand the medium of the web, and yay, great, technically they coded something, but we never had time to critique should they have even built it in the first place, because visually it was terrible. Right. And and there was obviously no way they were going to be able to produce anything visually sophisticated. Right. Because they didn't have the skills. So since I'm like still really dealing with, like, I've got one class, because the other, the other class is really it's more user research and interface design. So this this one web class I have, I've kind of flipped it now where always I just teach a little bit of HTML and CSS so they could like get their type up on the screen and see, oh yeah, it works or okay, these web fonts work like I want. And then we focus more on like creating visual mock ups that we look, you know, in clickable prototypes and envision. Right. Right. So so what's so what's your approach now? So like in your web in your web class where you're you know, you I saw that you, you you're using Dreamweaver. Mm-hmm. Um I saw that you're teaching at heavy HTML, CSS. So like what's your rationale for your approach to teaching that?
1: So um I I a little bit of background more background on me. I actually started doing web design was I when I was eleven. Um, I'm 32 now, so that was a ways back. Um, but when I was younger, I, um, I did not have a, uh, a logical approach to learning how to code. Uh, in fact, I kind of learned how to reverse engineer HTML, so to speak. I know that's a really kind of lofty word for uh, breaking shit and then tra- trying to figure out how to fix it. But uh, that was my process. And, um, you know, it probably took me twice as long to learn how to do HTML uh, than someone just taking a class. But uh, nevertheless, uh, one of the things that uh, I sort of reinforce with my students is, yes, you have four interactive design classes, um, but... That does not necessarily mean you're going to graduate from here and be a web developer. So I automatically start off by differenti- differentiating the roles um, of what post postgraduate career looks like or post back careers look like. So um, so I often I, I tell my students, listen, I'm not training you to be a developer. Uh, I'm training you to be what is effectively a front end designer. Um, you're going to design interfaces, you're going for websites, for mobile apps, for kiosks, whatever. But you need to be aware of how these things are built on the development side because a happy developer is a happy designer and vice versa. Um, There is no situation, and I reiterate this frequently with my students, there's no situation where they will be employed and working completely alone. Um, <laughs> now, there's some there's some nuance to that. I, I always have to preface it by saying if you work for a good company, a smart company, they won't let you code a website from nothing. Uh, they would hire a developer to work with you, and then you both produce that deliverable at its highest level. Um, obviously shifts in the industry and the expectations of our students when they graduate to be able to be masters of HTML and CSS has sort of, uh, created a different narrative. But in reality, even, even the people that want that, they don't really even know, at least in my opinion, they don't even really know, um, the, the level of mastery involved. Cause like, you know, I, I could have a student that takes two interactive design classes and they can put HTML and CSS under their skills. And the employer would be like, okay, that's nice. They hit the check marks and then they get employed and then they never use those skills. So it it really, it really depends. But, um, I, I start off my first project with it's, uh, less, user interface, less graphic design, and more coding, because I really want them to understand the foundation behind which the web is created. Um, They kick and scream the whole time, they hate it. It doesn't make sense to them. I'm teaching artists and designers math and logic. Um, It doesn't necessarily gel with their creative process. And furthermore, most graphic designers when i get them uh have never even thought about designing for the web so it's really a a total adjustment for them so i go into this knowing full well that the aesthetics are going to be less than ideal um but if i can get them to avoid creating left-hand navigation great And uh, we do, I still deal with some of that page layout, print composition stuff, and I get that out of the way. But um, once they understand the foundation of that, the HTML and the CSS, and how it works, and how patterns work with code, um, they tend to, to flourish in the rest of the, the classes and the rest of the projects. So um, there's a bit of aggravation up front. Um, and then it gets—it actually gets easier as as time moves on. The projects get more involved and more time intensive, but the create the and the the foundation of code is there, and it allows the creative process to flourish a bit more. So that's sort of the the rhyme and reason behind my HTML class or my intro class being HTML and CSS heavy. Furthermore, to that point, the SQL courses. Uh, I don't really deal much with coding at all in the SQL classes, which may be a complete reversal of what our peers are doing. They may start off light, like you are, focusing on the aesthetics, and then move into the code. Um, But I kind of flip that upside down.
0: Well, if I had multiple classes, I would actually do the the way you did it. Because like I said, that's the way I did it. Teach them the medium. And then in one class, and it takes pretty much all semester for them just to get used to the medium. Yeah. And then you could start like, you know, going in advance, you know, then start now that they can actually make something. Now you can start critiquing that visually. So ultimately I'd like to do that over several courses, Mm -hmm. but when I don't have that, I, you know, it's, I just shoot for, okay, do they need to be front end developers? No. Okay. What can they do? Right. What do they really what HTML, what kind of code do they really need to look at in the browser to ensure their static mockups are accurate? And I boil it down to just, OK, they need to see if they put things in three columns and they move and they change around the size of the screen. When do right. they need to make a new breakpoint? <laughs> right. When when do they need to adjust the picture? you know, if they're using the picture element, you know, art direct that image and just simply testing their typography. Okay. Do the web fonts have all the ligatures that I thought it was going to have. And so like to me that I thought was the bare minimum.
1: Yeah, no. And, and that's, that's actually a a good baseline. Um, (laughs) you know, on the, on the topic of web typography, I, um, I continually emphasize in my classes, uh, especially on that first project, none Uh, we do use a little bit of Photoshop to demonstrate slicing and and user interface and things like that. Um, And I tell them, your final site should not have any image-based type. The only area where you should have image-based type is the logo. Um, And the other day, it was actually yesterday, as a matter of fact, I had this one student whom was just exasperated. She just does not understand the process. And, you know, I kind of blame that on not taking notes, missing classes and, uh, generally not paying attention. But, um, her, her entire site was image based text. And I said, uh, I'm not going to grade this. I'm not going to grade it until you fix it. And she's like, it's due today. And I'm like, well, I, I hate to harp on you about it, but like, Again, you cannot have image-based text. It looks nice in Photoshop, but in practice, it is completely wrong. Um, and that's when, like, you know, meltdowns occur. Not that she had one, but generally, that's when that happens. Because um, c- again, like, I'm basically saying to them, "Hey, that really nice user interface you made, um, it's compromised, and you have to sacrifice all of it." Uh, because you're going to rebuild it from scratch in Dreamweaver, and it's not going to look much like anything that you had actually envisioned. Sorry, you'll get there eventually, um, but not in this first pass. <laughs>
0: uh yeah i i would I had a not a similar moment, but yeah, sort of similar. I didn't know whether to be proud though or cry. But I I would harp on, you know, the students to actually when I taught it as. Heavily front end, you know, skewed toward front end development. I, I made them, you know, use SVGs, and once, once, and one student did like, I don't know, somehow they managed to come up with like a one megabyte SVG, (laughs) and I was like, do I, I, how do I handle this? Am I mad at them because they made a one megabyte file, or am I proud of them because they were actually trying to use the SVG? Uh, so anyway that's it's off topic but yeah but correct me if i'm wrong i i was looking at your intermediate or the you know the second level interactive design course and it looks like you kind of focus on cms's uh drupal and wordpress yes so do you have students tweak existing templates or in or build their own you know what's the process for that for you
1: Okay, so um, here's, here's the basic uh, – this is where it diverges. So I apologize if this is nebulous or confusing. So in intermediate interactive design, my core focus is on content management systems um, and user interface um, and user experience. So the first two projects are WordPress and Drupal um and it's training wheels level stuff so it's like here's how you use wordpress and here's how you can manipulate plugins and manipulate themes and i'm just talking about okay. through the ui not hard coding anything and then eventually i get into some of the more complex things like all right well, here's how you connect. Well, they know this at this point, but here's how you connect to your site via FTP. Download all of your files, and this is how you hack some of the PHP and some of the JavaScript and some of the CSS. And this is how the whole WordPress system connects together. And I explain a little bit about databases and MySQL and, and things like that. And for the most part, especially when I get into the database stuff, like it goes over their heads and they do. Oh, yeah. And I don't, I don't blame them for that. Um, but, uh, I have had some students express interest in developing their own themes and that interest has spiraled, uh, directly out of conversations that we have about, uh, design entrepreneurship. So, Mm -hmm. uh, um, I've owned four design service LLCs in my time. I've, uh sold all but three and because um, the, the fourth one I'm still operating. But uh, you know, design entrepreneurship is a really big thing for me and getting and incentivizing these students to become active professionals, active freelancers, I mean, it's just gonna open so many more doors for them much more quickly. And you know as well as I do that it takes a very special type of student to embrace, that level of ambition, and then actually take the risk and act on it. Um, I would say it, I can't even say it's one or two people per class. It might be one or two people per academic year out of uh, a class of, I don't know, let's say 150 people, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I make mention of the Avada theme on theme forest and how like, that developer is a multimillionaire because he made a a theme that costs 50 bucks, but it's been sold half a million times. Um, And I had to explain to them, well, you know, he might be wealthy and this might be the only thing he does for two weeks of an entire year, but he's got royalties to pay. He may have a a staff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the students see that and they're like, wow, I never realized I can make that much money Uh, from design and I have to say like well you can make that much money and you can make more but you know the risk is equivalent to the reward or inversely proportional the more risk ever Um, so uh, I have had some students have an interest in developing custom WordPress themes I did have one student a few years ago in my advanced interactive class say to me, hey RJ, uh, I'm really interested in the curriculum for advanced interactive, but all I want to do this semester is build one custom based WordPress theme and I want to try to get it on Theme Forest and sell it. And I had to I had to give in and say, absolutely, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't get it on Theme Forest because they have a really rigorous review process and he's an amateur. But he did make his own WordPress theme. And it worked and it looked good for his level of skill. So I definitely try to reward that when I can. Um, Most students, though, it's just, let's just get this project over. WordPress is better than Drupal, but they both suck. And um, a lot of that, quite frankly, has to deal with their lack of exposure to design entrepreneurship, professional experiences, and uh, maturity, simply put. Um, my program is very, is still very print heavy despite the fact that there are four interactive classes. So at any given time, I've got interactive students that are also taking two other print classes and they're losing their mind uh, with stress because they're like, oh my God, I'm never going to get this print project done. And they sort of resign themselves to the fact that like, well, I'll get the interactive project done. It won't be anywhere near where I want it to, but it'll be at a, about a C grade. So that is kind of frustrating for me, but every once in a while I've got a student that really, uh, levels up, uh, the quality. So, um, yeah.
0: Two thoughts on that. The, the first one, I don't understand it, but I, it is a pattern with my students. And now you've pointed out it's a pattern with your students, why are they mailing in the interactive design course? And taking the and taking their print courses more seriously, because let's face it, the jobs are inverse. If you're going to take one thing seriously, you take the interactive part seriously, but they don't.
1: Yeah, um, and I'm so I'm so glad you said that because recently uh, I took it upon myself to create a survey for our alumni, and out of the alumni that I surveyed, most of them, uh, there are two points here. One. Most of them had interactive jobs first before they had print jobs. Two, um, those that um, had a higher level of skill in interactive in my classes got those jobs first and quicker. So, at least in the Mahoning Valley or the tri state area, um, you know, those web skills can't be competed with. So, you're absolutely right in that that situation is inversed. And I wish my students would take uh, more initiative in leveling up their work. But quite frankly, I think it comes down to the path of least resistance. Um, I know Illustrator and Photoshop, like the back of my hand, um, or I'm a student that's taken three classes that have all included Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, whereas I've only taken one class at a current point in time that included Dreamweaver. So it, they're just used to the print programs because um, they use them daily. I have students that will take Intro to Interactive in the fall, let's say fall 2017 or fall 2016. And then they won't take Intermediate until fall 2017, a year later. And the retention is gone they remember. They remember nothing. Not only do they not remember any of the software, but they don't remember any of the principles behind web design. And it just comes down to oh, uh, instinctively, that looks nice. Um, so uh, some people just completely drop off. Those people that um, don't take intermediate interactive almost immediately after are folks that either um, are in a weird scheduling rhythm where they just can't take it until a year after, or they purposely avoid taking intermediate because they Mm -hmm. don't. At which point, it's infinitely more harder on them when they do take it. If you take an intro in the spring and then intermediate in the fall, you're going to do okay. Um, But those people that have that huge gap, they just get frustrated uh, with with everything.
0: Yeah, and so the, the other point that I wanted to bring up, I've been thinking about this ever since the last design educator I I interviewed for the podcast, Lauren Miranda. Um, She talked a lot about, okay, so when I, I guess I'm, you know, the product of a student I'm trying to produce is somebody who's going to get a job at a, you know, an entry level, you know, job and interactive design firm. Right. Lauren was thinking more like, she's kind of like trying to prepare them for more for freelance work. And I never really thought about, you know, what I was, you know, what the end goal for my students. And so the more I've been thinking about it. And so I've personally been thinking about, huh, maybe what if I started teaching Squarespace? Cause everybody wants a Squarespace website yeah, and Shopify, because yeah. there is a lot of Mike, you know, micro manufacturing going along. And I thought, but then I struggle, so I was thinking about that, but then I kind of like struggle with the idea of like, uh, again, limited. I've got like two courses, um, and so am I teaching them, am I doing them a disservice by teaching them how to hack existing templates that aren't really their designs?
1: Uh, I understand, then, yeah. What do you
0: think about that whole debate?
1: <laughs> um, I don't, for me, there is no debate. Uh, it is in. A, first off, those within the debate have to acknowledge the uh, change of technology over time. Uh, for example, when I started doing app design, you had to have a knowledge of Objective C, specifically for iOS. There was no other way to do it. You had to learn Objective C. You had to use Xcode. And you had to follow Apple's rules to the letter if you wanted to see something on the app store. Um, And over time, well, Objective-C went away. Uh, Swift came about uh, because the app industry obviously boomed and they wanted to decrease the barrier for entry into app design and development. Um, And I'm not saying Swift is any easier by any rate, but... Um, if you look at some of these companies online <clears throat> that, Hey, we'll make your app for you, or you can use our proprietary software to build your app, um, which is effectively, uh, a website. Um, that's where the technology is going. Um, there'll come a point when, uh, we can design, our own interfaces within this simple, easy-to-use proprietary software and uh, get the same result as we would if we had hard-coded the thing from the ground up. Obviously that approach is more palatable for graphic design students. Um, And I don't fight that. Is it less original? Absolutely. Um, But I want my students to be able to say, I made an app in college. It doesn't have to be a good app. It doesn't have to look great. But I want my students to be able to say that they had that experience. And if that is the contemporary practice, uh, or at least the most popular contemporary practice of app design and development, so be it. Um, I, I embrace that, and that's why I reach out to groups like AppSpotter. And actively try to form partnerships with them, not because I want to take advantage of of their software or anything like that, but because I feel that their software has opened doors for my students that were not previously uh, able to be opened. And, you know, as a result of AppSpotter's technology, I've had students release their apps to iOS and Android. Um, I've had students create their own developer accounts and learn how to negotiate that system and they can go to an employer and say, well, I did bring my printed portfolio, but why don't you just download my mobile app and let me know what you think? Is that super cocky? Yeah, maybe, but it's awesome, uh, that, that my people can do that. And, and that's a goal that I have for all of my students. So by the end of my intermediate class, The goal is they each have their own portfolio app on the App Store using AppSpotter technology. Now, the other side to that is if I'm emphasizing design entrepreneurship, I could say you can use AppSpotter technology and charge a client five grand to make their app, provided you're extremely clear on how your service operates and the limitations within it. You know, you don't uh, want to... you know, pull a wool over anyone's eyes, so to speak, or be fraudulent, uh, or even I, I think the operative word there is misleading. Yeah. But um so my students can see that as a profit center and create apps for people and that experience is just as valid, in my opinion, as any other experience. Now when it comes to Wix and Squarespace, I take a pretty hard stand on that. Um mm-hmm. I run a I run the Youngstown Design Works program, which is an elite-level student-run graphic and interactive design agency. We build print and web deliverables for uh, clients in the Mahoning Valley. Now. If we have a client that says, all right, well, I'm on a WordPress website. Great, we can build you a WordPress website. We're very clear and transparent on how all of this operates. We can build a custom theme for you from the ground up for starting at $10,000, because that is an involved process. Or we can go to ThemeForest, find a few templates that you may like, consult with you. Uh, we purchase it and it reduce your cost, get your website online quicker. And we can manipulate those templates to accommodate your brand and everyone's happy. Um, those are the kind of projects that I like because I can fit those within a semester. Um, if they come to me and say, well, we have a Wix site. Can you work with that? I'm not going to say no. same with Squarespace or any other website builder. And because um, it's important that our students recognize that those tools are out there. And that they shouldn't perceive them as taking work away from them. They should perceive those web builders as tools that can get them work. Um, so I I'm adamantly against using them in class, but in professional practice I'm for it. Not enthusiastically for it, but I'm for it nevertheless.
0: Why are you? So why would you use WordPress in class, but you wouldn't use Squarespace
1: um WordPress and Drupal are open source for they're not completely open source obviously automatic owns WordPress and Drupal's another company but they're delivered in a their delivery is very open source like so for example I want my students to be able to download uh, the WordPress platform and I want to show them the code and I want to show them how they can manipulate it. I want to show them that they can be a third party developer of themes or plugins and profit off of that. Um, So I I like the community based. perspective of both WordPress and Drupal. Squarespace and Wix are full-on proprietary. Their goals are not to uh, democratize the web, so to speak. Their goals are to profit profit off the web. So that's why I don't use them. Yeah. No.
0: And, and that makes sense. Um, I guess I was kind of like looking for the magic bullet because one thing that I've heard from just like lots of different... Like Squarespace versus WordPress. I would pick WordPress because I, you know, I would like to teach my students WordPress, and I've heard some bad corporate, you know, some bad like, you know, Squarespace can be is kind of like their, their culture is kind of like the same as Uber's, right? Which is not good. Um,
1: well, it's kind of like how GoDaddy's ad campaigns were yeah. sexist, and yeah. and that's one of the reasons why I was actually against people using GoDaddy because I mm-hmm. took a philosophical stance against them, yep. and then. They dropped the ad campaign and they added CPanel <laughs> to their UI, and I'm like, okay, they're not so bad anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I stopped <laughs> using uh, MT. They bought the um, the the hosting company MT, but MT kept its its brand, its name, Media Temple. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> oh, don't get me started on <laughs> subsidiaries of of bigger corporations like Endurance International Group. Yeah. Um, they, so Arvix was a really great service, a web website hosting service based out of San Francisco. And then endurance international group came along, bought them, laid off half the company, destroyed their customer service. And all of my students that were on Arvix at the time were losing their shit. And of course I was getting the brunt of this because I recommended it to them. And it's just like, I'm sorry, these things happen. I had no idea I'm experiencing the same level of difficulty as you are, so um, be be aware of EIG and their poaching of smaller uh, smaller private owned startups.
0: Well, I you know how I avoided all that because I had the same thing happen. I had students using some other hosting company that like literally like overnight just went away. They crashed the server and went away. Um, so I actually now I use DigitalOcean. I just I have a droplet on DigitalOcean. I found an open source c panel. And so and so I just supply and it's called Centora for anybody who does come back and find this. I spend up a a one gigabyte memory droplet at ten bucks a month on DigitalOcean. I installed Centora hosting panel on it and I give all my students free hosting. Nice. And it's Uh and I don't have to worry about it. That's all great. The, yeah, and and the and the panel is close. I mean, the panel is resembles most other hosting panels enough that, like, okay, like from a learning perspective, if they used Centora, they could go use cPanel and GoDaddy. They could go use right. uh, Parallel. Parallel, I think, is the other one. There's
1: there's yeah. universality.
0: Yeah, and so they could go and use another one um but but back onto the original thing it's it's yeah. shopify that's the one that i can't really cuz there is a lot of work there is a lot of small businesses who want e-commerce websites yeah. and woocommerce just isn't as powerful as nope. flexible for the you know what for the um, business as shopify
1: that's such a that's such a great point i i get ecom requests constantly Not a week goes by where I don't get at least one e-commerce request. And I'm at the point now where I'm just frustrated that these business owners, instead of taking the time to research it on their own, they just call up the local university and expect someone to uh, answer that question for them, which, you know, in all fairness, that's part of why we're here. But um, I I do get frustrated because this just happened. I I said to a person, we can build an e-commerce site for you. But you're going to have to get a virtual private network. You're going to have to get a secure site link. You're going to have to get a dedicated IP. That alone is going to cost you probably about $1,000. Um, you're going to have to get some redundant backups and blah, 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 technical jargon. Oh, and then you're going to have to pay us another five to $10,000 just to put all this stuff together because the second that a credit card transaction is compromised, you're responsible for it, and you know as well as I do that a client will defer that responsibility onto the designer or developer that made their site, which puts the university in a, in a bad situation, which effectively puts me in a bad situation. So I've actually sworn off doing e-commerce completely. Uh, in my role as uh, the director of design works, but also as a professional, I just don't do it. I just say, go to Shopify. If you don't like it, uh, there are other out of the box solutions that you can use. But the operative thing you need to understand is that one of those services you're going to have to use if you want to do it right.
0: And, and so so there, be, there comes my internal struggle. And I think I actually just worked it out listening to you is that like. Shopify is the the best entry-level tool for anybody who wants to start an e-commerce that I can come across. Um, so if I have my students learn how to manipulate existing templates for Shopify or build them from scratch, they're then using the liquid templating engine, which right. is different than PHP, which is different than the JSON backend for Squarespace. So, right. so now they're stuck to a proprietary thing. But mm-hmm. the one that I just thought of that i I can't believe I didn't think of it is my class blog I use Jekyll. Jekyll uses the same liquiding liquid templating that shopify does yeah there are there are now um there's a actually there's now like a a panel for Jekyll websites, and there's like some you know like companies that'll host a Jekyll website that'll add a back end to it. So clients could go in and change it. So maybe I might go down that route, you know, a Shopify slash, you know, or Jekyll website for the static side of things. But anyway, I've, I've way digressed. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. Yeah. But I mean, these are, I, I don't know, but these are like the things I'm constantly like going through in my mind. That like all these things are like, would be fantastic for the students to know, but we get like absolutely no time to teach all of this, which would be crazy beneficial. And then the students are like that, you know, they, they take the making the postage stamp or the poster more seriously than they do the website.
1: Yeah. 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 That's (laughs) the struggle continues.
0: All right. So that's all we have time for today on part one of episode fifty one of design edu today. I want to thank today's guest, RJ Thompson, for being so generous with his time. I also want to thank the audience for listening and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and the CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA design educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the Design Edu Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases and updates about the podcast, visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash today, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes and Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes, or give feedback to help improve this show, contact me through the show's email address at hello at designedu. Dot today. Once again, thank you for listening to Designing to today.